Mr. Barris Hammond with Dusty Road. And that song, that special song was going out to my father. Just to say thank you for all your help and support that you brought me through my life. And now back to your host. Thank you, Mars. Great music tonight. This past Tuesday was National AIDS and HIV Testing Day. To honor the event, Youth Radio's Jaron Kai grabbed a handful of people to discuss the subject. Javier Rios, Outreach Coordinator, and Douglas Capitan project coordinator for Empower, as well as prevention generalist Cameron Schmidt with New Mexico AIDS Services, were all kind enough to lend some insight on the topic. Hi, I'm Jaren Kai from Youth Radio, and I'm here with Javier Rios, Cameron Schmidt, and Douglas Captain 
and we're at NMAS conducting an interview. Can you tell us a little bit about the services that both your programs provide and what work you do? Um, I guess starting with Empower. Well, Empower is an organization for young, gay, bi, questioning, transgendered men um, between the ages of 18 and 29. And what we do, our mission is to um, prevent HIV service, prevent, sorry, HIV by nurturing self-esteem and fostering communication. And basically what we do is we have different events throughout the week and um, our underlying goal is to make communication about safer sex and other situations which affect young gay men um, a normal thing to occur. And we do regular outreach at the bars and we do education via um, person to one-on-one personal per- education as well as internet outreach. NMAS provides a number of services um, ranging from testing and counseling for HIV to syphilis screenings and HIV screenings. Um, We also collaborate with the Department of Health to come out and we have nurses who will give you both hepatitis A and B vaccines as well as any health education that you may need on STDs or hepatitis. Um, And we also do outreach testing at the bars, um, personalized risk reduction plans for HIV and to help, you know, people get safer goal behaviors as far as safer sex and safer injections. You offer services for injection drug users. Um, What kind of services is that in the needle exchange program? Um, On a regular basis on Saturdays from 11 to 3, we have the syringe exchange program, um, and that's for people who are injection drug users or for people who are diabetic who need to come in and get clean needles, um, clean works as far as cottons, cookers, water. Um, They can get free educational materials as far as safer injecting. Um, We actually enroll them in a program. It's a one-for-one. They can bring all of their used syringes in, and for for however many they bring in, we can give them that many. Um, and we also offer, you know, HIV testing on those days as well and free condoms and literature about safer sex and STDs. What are NMAS and Empower doing to help the Albuquerque community as opposed to statewide? Are you doing more or less in Albuquerque? Or? Well, one of the things that Empower specifically does in the Albuquerque community is we have um, one of our nights of the week, which is called Get Wired Night. And that's every Monday, and we actually move around Albuquerque in different to different coffee shops, so that way our members can in different areas of the city can access us. They don't necessarily have to if they don't have transportation, they don't have to come to our uh, space, which is here on Manzano. They can meet us on Juan Tabo if they live on Juan Tabo. If we're on the west side on Rio Grande at a Starbucks, or if we're by UNM in the satellite coffee houses. So that's one of the ways we specifically serve the Albuquerque community at large. Now, with AIDS education, in recent years I've noticed that the emergence of abstinence-only sex education, has has that been a problem with providing services and education in Albuquerque or statewide? Um, Absence-only in New Mexico has been a major factor in um, what we do and how we educate the people that we reach. And it's... We've lost a lot of funding because of the abstinence-only grant, which took a lot of money away. But um, that allowed us to kind of evolve our education efforts um, and evolve our programs that we have here at NMAS to reach people who otherwise probably wouldn't um, be, 
effectively be reached by the abstinence only message because you know they have sex and no to sex is not just not going to happen so it's working your way around those specific areas and working um and educating people about like safer sex um messages and how to do it and just to reduce your risk for contracting hiv as well as other stds also along with what doug was saying it kind of can be a barrier as far as educating um in high schools or junior highs because if you're teaching abstinence only then you're trying to prevent people from having sex which we all know is going to happen so it's it's harder for us if they're teaching no sex as opposed to safe sex because it's more stigmatized it's less talked about and it's not as normalized if you are having sex because they're trying to you know put out the message that it's best not to have sex so that can kind of be a barrier in that way as well have you had problems with rural areas and populated areas and providing education and services? Well, one of the things that we've actually done with Empower is to reach people that are in more rural areas that actually don't reside in Albuquerque or in areas, say, between Albuquerque and Las Cruces, is we do internet outreach. Um, one of the sites that we actually go on is gay.com because there are people that are in rural areas and we may not be able, they may not be able to come here to NMAS for a site visit and get a test, but we can refer them to maybe somewhere that's closer to where they live. We can also chat with them about what ways to protect themselves as far as the spread of HIV. So that's one thing that we've definitely done as far as reaching people in rural areas. Um, we also have different sites that we set up in rural areas, such as Farmington, where we have a New Mexico Aid Services Farmington office, so that way we can hit the northwest corner. And we also actually set up um, every like first and third Saturday of the month in Grants, New Mexico, so that way we can do HIV testing as well as syringe exchange, so that way people can access services and not have to travel to Albuquerque. Now, with rural areas, has there also been problems with um, being more adjusting to cultural issues, um, like Native American issues or Hispanics? Has there been trouble adapting to those kind of issues? A majority of the populations here, um, culture-wise, have been Latino and white, but there has also been a strong influence of Native American cultures. And the thing that we've been doing lately, New Mexico Aid Services is... Um, indirectly funded by the CDC, but the CDC mandates and controls um, the way we sort of do our education. And um, with our program, Empower, it's a considered a Debbie intervention, and I believe Debbie stands for Diffusion of Effective-Based Interventions. And there's several of those that the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, approves for funding and um, grants. So they sent, sent the message um, a while back that we need to adapt and tailor our programs to fit the cultural needs of whoever we're targeting. And being Native American myself, I'm Navajo, it, it, it reaches a, part, a piece of my heart which like, I want to go home and teach people like, how to protect themselves, um, you know, where to access services. Um, one of the things that I would add is just that, I mean, as part of our outreach, it, it is important to have insiders to the specific cultures that are in New Mexico. And I mean, we try to represent those cultures and gain, you know, having trust with the people. Um, being an insider to a community, for example, Dougie being um, Navajo, I mean, he can actually go to where he was born and reach people that may be unreachable by somebody who's an outsider.
it's it was one of the examples that we talked about when we went to the Black HIV AIDS Awareness Conference and being an insider to those communities, knowing the effects of maybe the churches, uh, the elders, different representations, and being an insider and you know reaching people that way. So it is important. It it really does help because being from a Native American community myself, it it's hard to reach out to people because there's a lot of people in rural areas are so isolated. So they've just become known to one set mind and everything. And that's how they live their life. And so I think it's really good that you're trying to adjust cultural content competency and also rural issues. What are some of the, I guess, stereotypes or stigmatisms that people have about HIV and AIDS? Well, a lot of times people think that number one that when you when a person has HIV or AIDS that you can tell physically and there really is no way you can tell whether a person has HIV or AIDS physically at all. Um, a lot of some of the myths about HIV is that are that you can get it from saliva. You cannot transmit HIV through saliva. Um, that only gay people have HIV and AIDS. That or only injection drug users can get HIV or AIDS, which in fact, when in fact anyone can get HIV or AIDS, um, that you can get it from mosquitoes. That's another misconception about HIV. Another question is: I know a lot of people, and there's some people who are afraid of getting tested because they don't know the process. Um, would you mind explaining the process of being tested? Um, getting tested basically involves um, what a person does is they come in, they fill out a little card that just kind of goes over race, um, age, that kind of stuff. Um, and then what we do is we take them into a room, um, the counselor and the person, um, they get a f- free anonymous test. There is no blood involved. It's a mouth swab. Um, the sessions usually last anywhere between 10 and 20 minutes where they all get their HIV tests and they also try to go over safer goal behaviors, um, a risk reduction plan as far as the transmission of HIV, as long as any re- or as long with any referral services that the client may need as far as STD testing, um, counseling services, uh, substance abuse services, or getting involved with surgery exchange. Um, and we also recommend, you know, like syphilis screenings or hep C screenings dependent on their risk behaviors. Another issue with um, AIDS services, or at least uh, gay issues in Albuquerque and statewide, um, you only service from 18 on up. Um, is there any issues that you run into with helping younger people? Just because our organization is 18 and through 29, yes, we do have issues because if people are younger that than that, you know, they are they may not be legally allowed to do certain things. For example, they're not allowed to make decisions. They're still under their parents' care, so it is difficult to reach those people. However, we are invited many times by GSAs in the Albuquerque high schools to present our project, and there's also a group known as Common Bond, which is for the under-21 age group, and although they don't meet as often as we do, we still do presentations for younger people and encourage them you know, to for the same to do the same things that we encourage our own guys to. And they we we give them information so they can get involved in other ways. With NMAS, do you have any youth advocating for you know, AIDS services or AIDS issues? Um, through our department, which is Community Health Promotions, we actually have what's called Title IV Division, which is services for people who are under 25. Um, 
but we actually target those who are under 21 more specifically just because it is so hard for youth to find these kinds of services. So basically, if you're 13 to 21, we actually have a group that meets the first Monday of every month, and they talk about um, sexual behaviors, drug addictions, alcohol abuse, um, and just any issues that the um, teens who attend the group have and, you know, it's a good um, way for them to come out and kind of talk with other people about different issues, and it's not going to be stigmatized because it's not abstinence-based. So they don't feel pressured into hiding, you know, what their behaviors are, and so that way they can feel kind of free to talk. Do you see any differences in providing services for gay youth and straight youth? Um, New Mexico Aid Services actually has a policy that we would like everyone to know about their HIV status and education. So as long as you are 13 or older, we can give you a counseling session and a test regardless of your sexual orientation, whether you're straight or gay. So, um, I guess we've reached the end of the interview. Uh, would, anyone, would anyone have anything else to say? You can look up any of the information or services that we offer for Empower at empowerabq.org, or you can log on to www.nmas.net and learn about the different um, opportunities as far as volunteering, um, testing hours, or the different events that we're sponsoring um, throughout the year. Um, I want to thank you, uh, thank all of you, and commend the work that you are doing for New Mexico. Um, Javier Rios, Cameron Schmidt, and Douglas Captain. This has been a really interesting interview, and, and I want to thank you all again for KUNM Youth Radio. I'm Jaron Kai. Thank you to the members of New Mexico Aid Services and Empower for the enlightening interview, and of course, additional thanks to Jaron Kai for leading the discussion. NMAS continues to go strong. They'll be sponsoring the annual AIDS Walk on September 9th at Johnson Field. If you're interested, call 938-7100 for more information. And now let's throw it to Mars for more music. Thank you. All right, then. Now I'm going to take you all, all you listeners, to the res and jam out to some Battle River. After CD Life on the Res, I'm going to play you a squaw dance song. So all you grown-up kids, get up and have fun with Battle River. Take it away. Thank you, Battle River. Now back to your host. And now for the sad truth. I am totally and completely ignorant of extreme sports. <laughs> Don't cry. It's really, really okay. You're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And one day you're, you're going to come to realize that extreme sports are not everything. Okay. Plus, <laughs> I don't know anything about them either. Oh. So, it's a really, really, really good thing that Lucia, who's much more knowledgeable on the subject, is the one who has the following segment. Roll that beautiful skateboarding sound. Alrighty, guys, get to your spot. Let's get this started. Alrighty. Wait up, guys. Get to your spot. Extreme sports are the kind of non-traditional sports kids seem to gravitate to. 
So says Drew Stewart, who is the executive director and co-founder of New Mexico Extreme Sports, an organization that helps 12 to 18-year-olds get involved in extreme sports. All the sports that we offer, we provide a learn-to program. Skiing, snowboarding, we have two wakeboarding trips coming up uh, first two weeks of July. You know, if kids want to do it, we make sure that we teach them. 12-year-old Donovan Maldonado says that skating has made him closer to his dad. He likes to take me every weekend and my team, we kind of like my friends and stuff, and he always takes us to Calvary, Los Altos, Santa Fe, skate parks. Donovan's dad, Patrick Maldonado, says that New Mexico Extreme Sports provides competition venues, organizes trips, and helps kids out with expenses. He says that he appreciates that the organization has got his son involved with what he calls the right crowd. Real, real nice to know that the kids are all in the right uh, frame of mind. They're all out there. There's no fights. There's no, uh, no drugs. There's no drinking. The kids are uh, out there just to have fun in, uh, in a healthy way, which is real nice. Maldonado says it's not just Donovan who benefits from the outings. It's a fun thing for him to do, fun thing for me to watch. Uh, the whole family's out here. We love it. Limping around with an ice pack taped to her knee and assisted in walking by a friend, Crystal Hibner is one of the four girls in the competition. She explains how she was injured. I was carving a bowl and I hit a can and I flew. I didn't know I twisted my knee until afterwards, until after the whole thing was over and I sat down and was in pain. New Mexico Extreme Sports does not require safety equipment, says Stewart. It's not something that we feel that we need to force the kids on. I mean, they all understand the risks, the risk that's involved. They do provide Sandia Peak ski patrol members who serve as EMTs. I insist that my son wears protective gear. If you notice, he's got a helmet on. Um, a lot of kids don't wear the protective gear, and I see him get pretty hurt. So uh, I've told him he needs to be the example out there. Tess Goring was thrilled to win the women's competition. I did good. I got first place. <laughs> it was exciting. There were only three other girls in the competition. Goring says she wants to see more girls involved in the sport, and she takes it upon herself to get younger girls involved with skating. When I see girls skating, I just go up to talk to them and encourage them because you really don't see very many girls here. And um, I'm actually giving lessons to a 10-year-old. She wanted lessons to learn how to skate, and so I was like, I'll teach her. Because, I mean, we want more girls, so I think, I don't know, just go and show them, you know. It's, Cool if you're a girl skating. It's not, don't be intimidated by the boys because they are intimidating. Go Tess! 235 youth took part in Saturday's competition. Organizers say that they were pleased with the turnout and to get so many kids involved in the sport. For KUNM Youth Radio, I'm Lucia Martinez. You're listening to Youth Radio on 89.9 KUNM. That was Lucia Martinez talking about the recent skateboarding competition here in New Mexico. Special thanks to Donnie Hernandez for letting us use his piece. Now I can do extreme skateboarding too! Ow! Well... Maybe not, Michael. Ow. While you recover from your excursion, let's turn it over to Mars for more music. Okay, this will be my last song for tonight. It's by a special artist, Bob Marley, with Lively Up Yourself, and hope the song brings enjoyment to the rest of your night. Woo! Oh. oh, yeah! 
That was Bob Marley with Lively Up Yourself, and now back to our host. The IHS, or Indian Health Services of the U.S., has faced many struggles in the past. But recently this year, IHS faced a critical budget cut. Here's Youth Radio's Philip Riley with the details. Another broken treaty? Earlier this year, Indian Health Services faced a budget cut. Well, the correct political term is that it's not kept pace with inflation. Unfortunately, Congress was faced with a decision to cut the budget for IHS, Indian Health Services. Bill Thorne, director of the Acoma Canicito Laguna Hospital, or ACL for short, says that Congress has located funding in other areas. All the money is going to Homeland Security and the war effort and uh, the relief efforts that, you know, Katrina took uh, billions of dollars. So all of the money that they might have otherwise provided to us and other agencies um, is going to, to other uses. The U.S. government, through negotiated treaties, promised health care to Native Americans in return for ceding Native lands and other agreements. Well, let me go way back in the uh, mid-1800s. The uh, Department of the Army, when they began to deal with what they call the Indian issue in the West, was given authority to provide certain foods and things to the Indian people. So they originally had the first responsibility for helping the health and welfare of Indian people. And that lasted uh, until the 1920s or 30s, I believe, in the Indian Reorganization Act, where the responsibility was transferred from the Department of the Army to the Department of the Interior. And they actually had the responsibility for uh, providing uh, health and welfare for Indians up until 1955. At that time, then, the uh, Indian Health Service was formed and uh, it was transferred from the Bureau of Indian Affairs to the Indian Health Service, where the responsibility lies today. Bill Thorne says the cut in funding has affected health services for Native Americans. Well, I can tell you a little bit about the services. What happens to us is that we, uh, we're under a mandate, under federal law, uh, we're, we're bound not to spend any more money than is appropriated by the Congress and approved by the President. So uh, when we see that our, the cost of of daily operations is more than the money that we have, then we have to cut back on certain things. And we've done that. Uh, we've um, tried to cut back on the number of trips, for example, to save on gas and things. We've um, cut uh, over-the-counter medications. We provided for a long time, one of the few service units that did drugs and things that were available in, in drug stores and down here at the convenience store and stuff. And we call them over-the-counter medications that it doesn't require a prescription to buy them. But we carried them in our pharmacy. As a matter of fact, there was several hundred thousand dollars worth that we, that we bought every year and dispensed for free. So we've cut those kind of things out so that we'd have enough money to buy the more important drugs for people. Uh, we've certain positions we haven't filled. Uh, we've uh, cut back on the amount of staff that we've been able to hire in an attempt to save money. Uh, so we've done some things uh, that we hope haven't really cut services, but it's beginning to be more and more difficult for us to do the things we need to do for, for people that come here. At a visit at the ACL Hospital, a few patients in the waiting room gave their opinions about the budget cut of IHS. If IHS disappeared, what would, not what I do, what would everybody do? Because a lot of people don't, um, can't afford insurance, so, and they don't have that transportation to go elsewhere, and it's much closer to us, so it'll hurt a lot of our people here, especially our low-income people. So um, I don't think it'll be a good idea, especially if a lot of our employees here 
work here and they want to have other places to go other than you know a longer distance out in Albuquerque, Gallup or other surrounding areas so it would hurt us a lot. Well in the past they used, uh, I heard them use the term direct care mm -hmm. which meant that uh, it didn't matter if you had health insurance but now if you come to get seen for like a routine checkup they're asking for um, outside insurance and if there was no AHS you probably had no other choice to um, other than to always have health insurance and get seen elsewhere. There's nothing else you could do. I think that everybody should be made aware of it before any changes are made. And I think that they should honor their promises of the treaty they had brought out many years ago. And it's just not right. It's not right to just take it away. So um, if I just was to close, where would you turn to? Um, currently my kids go to Loveless. I'm just here because I had no other place to go, but probably just a different hospital and use our, our Medicaid, which is also a program that's not doing so well. Are you aware of it? No. Um, oh, yes, I am. The IHS cuts. Yeah. Are you, would you like to give opinions about it? Uh, well, I think there's no reason that there should be any cuts in this IHS. Um, the Indians here deserve good medical care. They need to have uh, good permanent employees. I think this is just some type of a political discrimination. I think Mr. Bush could do better, but he seems to ostracize the Indian people from a lot of benefits that we do deserve after all the federal government took our land and uh, did a lot of other uh, damages to our people. I think it's really just a political issue. Okay, and if I just was to close down, what do you think the people will turn to and where would you turn to? Um, for myself, I have my own insurance. I pay enormous uh, medical insurance premiums for Presbyterian health care, and then I have Medicare A and B, but the other people I really feel for them because we're out here in a rural area, and they would have to drive like 40 and 50 miles to Albuquerque, and hopefully the state would cover them with Medicaid or come up with some other kind of medical insurance because, um, you know, they are in need of medical care. There's no ifs about it. And Mr. Bush is human. He should know that when he gets sick, he needs to go see a doctor. Only us taxpayers pay for his medical care. I still think the federal government should take the responsibility when they uh, first said that they would be taking care of the Indians instead of all of a sudden pulling out at the very end. Um, that's basically the way I feel about it. You know? I mean, they promised you know, that they were going to take care of us, and you now they're reneging on it. You know, and uh, I just think that that's part of their responsibility. You know? And uh, I don't know. I feel that uh, they should be getting better pay and uh, bigger facilities.
All I said, we need, we need some more money. <laughs> That's the main part. And uh, I don't know how we're going to get more money, but we need to get some more money so we can get some more, you know, more stuff you know, for us, for ascendant. But now it seems that we don't have any much money and everything just going down. I think everywhere is like that and, and reservation. So we need we need some more money. Do you have any opinions about that? I'm fine. Uh-huh. I'm fine. Opinions? Yeah. Yes, uh, I have an opinion. I think it's very important that it's not it's not fair that they do that to the natives. And not just for us, also for our children and our grandkids in the future. And the way with the economy is going up, uh, I would like to uh, ask our leaders to think about us and our future family for more uh, funding so we don't have to have to go through that budget cut. And we don't want our health is important, and I'm sure that everyone feels like that. So I will appreciate if our leaders would think about us and our future. Thank you. With all the pessimism in the air, Bill Thorne says there may be solutions. Well, certainly this is, ha this is not the first time it's happened in the history of a health service. The, um, one of the solutions, of course, is for the Congress and the President to appropriate more money. Uh, another solution is for us to, to uh, uh, we build third party. We build Medicare, Medicaid, and we build private insurance. And those collections come back to us, and we use them to off, to help our budget. The uh, uh, one of the things that we we look at is the types of insurance that Indian people have. Uh, the Navajo tribe. The law doesn't allow us to build a self-funded insurance plan. The Navajo Nation is self-funded, and so the Navajo uh, worker who has health insurance to the Navajo Nation, when he comes here, we're unable to build his insurance. Uh, because of the way it's put together now. Um, I think we have a little bit of that with some of the tribes in uh, in this area. Uh, not all of them, but a few people. So we need to do things to try to improve that. We have a lot of people that are eligible for Medicaid that for different reasons don't get registered, so we're unable to bill for services we provide to them. Uh, so I think there's some work that we can do there to, to increase the money we get now. Is that enough to 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 do something to help us out of the, the kind of situation we're in? Well, probably not, but every little bit helps. Um, in some areas, the tribes have taken over the programs and put a lot of money uh, in. Let me give you an example. The Chickasaw Nation of Oklahoma uh, operates, they, they took over the government program from the Indian Health Service, they operated. They felt that the hospital was um, not adequate and it was, uh, gosh, Dedicated in '83, it's it's newer than this. They are they are building now a hundred and thirty-four, hundred thirty-five million dollar new hospital, completely funded by the tribe. It's, there's no federal money in it at all. So there's a case where the tribe said we're, we'll take our resources and do it. Um, there's been some of that done with uh, tribes all the way from Alaska to uh, to the east. So that's an option that has not been uh, exercised in this area. I don't know that the tribes, the Pueblos, are interested in doing any of that, but that's certainly available to them. But uh, the mainstream solution is to get the Congress and the, and the President to do that. And the reason they're not doing it now, of course, is all the money is going to Homeland Security and the war effort.
1976, Congress passed the Indian Health Care Improvement Act. One policy states to be the primary federal advocate for Native Americans with respect to health care matters and to assist them in assessing programs to which they are entitled. Now, have they kept up with the promise? So this brings us to the old saying in Indian country, another broken treaty. For KUNM, I'm Philip Riley. To our elders who teach us of our creation and our past, so we may preserve Mother Earth for ancestors yet to come, we are the land. This is dedicated to our relatives before us thousands of years ago, and to the 150 million who were exterminated across the Western Hemisphere in the first 400 years' time, starting in 1492. To those who have kept their homelands, and to the nations extinct due to mass slaughter, slavery, deportation, and disease unknown to them, and to the ones who are subjected to the same treatment today. To the ones who survived the relocations, and the ones who died along the way. To those who carried on traditions and lived strong among their people. To those who left their communities by force or by choice, and through generations no longer know who they are. To those who search and never find. To those that turn away the so-called non-accepted. To those that bring us together. And to those living outside, keeping touch, the voice for many. To those that make it back to live and fight the struggles of their people. To those that give up and those who do not care. To those who abuse themselves and others. And those who revive again. To those who are physically, mentally, or spiritually incapable by accident or by birth. To those who seek strength in our spirituality and ways of life, and those who exploit it, even our own. To those who fall for the lies and join the dividing lines that keep us fighting amongst each other. To the outsiders who step in, good or bad, and those of us who don't know better. To the leaders and prisoners of war, politics, crime, race, and religion, innocent or guilty. To the young, the old, the living, and the dead, to our brothers and sisters and all living things across Mother Earth, and her beauty we've destroyed and denied the honor that the Creator has given each individual. The truth that lies in our hearts, all my relations. For more information about IHS and other health services, you can visit www.ihs.gov. Thank you, Philip, for that grand, amazing segment. And now it's time for the marvelous, spectacular, stupendous, phantasmagorical, star-studded. Uh, star-studded? Since when are there stars in the Youth Radio Weekly calendar? Well, the host is Kyle Ferris. He's a star, is he not? Oh, how right you are, Diana. On to calendar then with the one and only Kyle! Hello, listeners. This is the Youth Radio Weekly Calendar. I'm your calendar host this week, Kyle Ferris. If you have teens at home this summer and are looking for educational activities to keep them busy, you may want to consider this program. The National Hispanic Environmental Council is accepting applications from qualified teens ages 16 to 18 to attend its 6th Annual Minority Youth Environmental Training Institute to be held August 4th through 13th at the beautiful Glorieta Lifeway Conference Center in Glorieta, New Mexico. 
The Institute is an intensive science-based, highly educational 10-day residential program. Their curriculum is rigorous. There is classroom instruction every morning and night, homework in the evening, outdoor field activities during the day, and more. For more detailed information on the Institute and the program, please visit their website at www.nheec.org. For those into art, We Art the People, a folk art festival, will be presented by Off Center Art Community Studio on August 12th. Off Center is a community-based art studio located at 8th and Central and is open to anyone wishing to create art. For more information about this event, call 247-1172. Also, the Museum of Fine Arts in Santa Fe is featuring a new exhibit, Gustave Baman, a Santa Fe legend. For more information about this, call 476-5072. A slightly more interactive creative presentation takes place at the Blue Dragon Coffee House every Wednesday in the form of an open mic night. This event is always free and open to all ages. It's the 4th of July on Tuesday, and since we've had maybe a quarter of an inch of water in the past five years, odds are you won't get a chance to set off many fireworks. But you will be able to watch them at the Balloon Fiesta Park. This event will feature a performance by the New Mexico Symphony Orchestra at 5 p.m. To find out more, go to www.albuquerque300.org. If you're a little more into pop culture, a ton of new movies have or are coming out this summer. Possibly the most highly publicized is Superman Returns. The man who never got proper clothing layer or fashion instruction is back in this modern day version of the story directed by Brian Singer. Also out in the superhero venue is X-Men 3, The Last Stand, and a slightly less serious movie called My Super Ex-Girlfriend due to hit theater soon. Also soon to come out is Pirates of the Caribbean 2 Dead Man's Chest, featuring all the old actors, hopefully with some new jokes and story. If pop culture acting is not your thing, there are other movies for you. Currently playing at the Guild Theater is Pile. Pile is the story of a beautiful woman who marries a man who's only interested in making money. A ghost falls in love with her, and on her wedding night, her husband leaves home on a business trip that will take him away for five years. The ghost takes on the appearance of her husband and steps into the woman's life. When the husband returns later, everyone is bewildered, and the plot revolves around how this unusual dilemma is resolved. The film features some of India's biggest stars. If you just don't like movies at all, the Albuquerque Little Theater is putting on 101 Dalmatians, a stage version of the popular Disney movie. To find out more about this play, call 242-4750. That wraps it up for the Youth Radio Weekly Calendar. Remember, if you have any events you would like to be read on our calendar, send them to youthradio at kunm.org. Now back to the hosts. This program was brought to you in part by producer Philip Riley. Music for this show was made possible by Marsh Chalon. The events around the state, in cooperation with Kyle Ferris, brought you this week's calendar. Technical support was provided by Lucia Martinez and Jaron Kai. Additional contributions made by Philip Riley, Lucia Martinez, and Jaron Kai. Three youth investing in public awareness through radio broadcasting. The skateboarding piece was made possible by a grant of permission from Danny Hernandez. I'm your host, Diana Barron-Moore. And I'm Michael Harley. Support from the Over 21 community comes from Roberta Rael, Mercedes Mejia, Steve Emmons, Marcos Martinez, and Krista Pino. And support to the show from listeners like you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another episode of Youth Radio.